This is the Create Love, Create Freedom podcast. My name is Allison Fisher, and on today's episode, we are going to be discussing attachment style and parenting. In particular, we're going to look at avoidant attachment, but we're also going to look at all of the insecure attachment styles. And we're also going to kind of um, take a look at secure attachment as well and how, um, you know, whether you are securely attached or you are insecurely attached, not only how it affects your parenting, um, but also how it can kind of look. So there certainly is a connection between attachment security and parenting style. And secure attachment is really associated with authoritative parenting. And I'm going to talk through uh, four different, um, I guess, parenting styles would be correct. And it's going to Perhaps it was, it was a little confusing for me. I thought that authoritative could have been um, termed something a little bit different because there's also authoritarian parenting. So anyway, um, just know that um, there are uh, vast differences between the two. We will be going over those. So in authoritative parenting, um, this is where the parents are nurturing and responsive and supportive, and yet they set firm limits for their children. They will often attempt to control their children's behavior by explaining rules, discussing and reasoning. And they listen to the child's viewpoint, although they don't always accept the child's viewpoint. Um, this tends to be the kind of parenting with the highest um, uh, level of responsiveness um, and also, uh, you know, some demandingness as well. Um, but it is considered to be... Um, you know, more of the kind of healthy way of parenting. So this is where the parent will try to solve problems together with their child. They'll set clear rules and expectations. They'll have very open communication. Um, and the, the consequences will be very natural, right? It won't feel like it's kind of bouncing around or um, it changes from uh, one experience to the next. It's pretty even across the board. Uh, then there is also permissive parenting. And this is where the parenting is very child-driven. Um, the parent rarely gives or enforces rules um, upon the child. And the parent tends to overindulge the child in order to avoid conflict with the child. Then there is neglectful parenting. And this is where um, the child will often feel very unloved and the parent will often be very absent. It could be physically absent. Um, it could also be emotionally absent. Um, this kind of parenting provides little nurturance or guidance to the child. And the parent is often very indifferent to the child's social, emotional, and behavioral needs. And then there's also authoritarian parenting. And again, different from authoritative, um, but authoritarian parenting is very parent-driven, unlike permissive, which is very child-driven. And in authoritarian parenting, the parent will, will set very strict rules and punishments. And there'll be a lot of one-way communication. Um, it, I kind of think about it as the, well, why? When the child will question or ask, and the parent will say, because I said so. 
Um, and, and that'll be their kind of standard response. And so it's a lot of one-way communication with little consideration of the child's social, emotional, and behavioral needs. So when we look at secure parenting or a secure attachment, um, it is associated with authoritative parenting, not authoritarian, but authoritative. And, you know, this is where, again, clear boundaries are set for the child or children in ways that really take into account their age-related needs and abilities, right? It's, it's kind of ever-changing parenting too, right? They're considering where the child is now, um, which is different from when they were three, right? If they're seven, right? Um, this kind of parenting is really linked with a lot of flexibility and adaptability, attentiveness to their child's emotional needs, and a lot of give and take in the relationship that's really founded on values of positivity and mutual respect. And this seems to me to be the kind of parenting that the parent, the parent isn't simply trying to control the child. Um, the parent sees their role as parent, not only as just disciplinarian and enfor- an enforcer, they also see themselves as a constant learner, right? Their child is teaching them. They're this little being that is really teaching them um, as well as they are teaching the child. So avoidant attachment in childhood is really linked with these different parenting models that were very rejecting, very neglectful, very overwhelming. Um, Sometimes, you know, pressuring um, the um, avoidant person as an adult, you know, when, when, so when they were a child, um, it really, their parent really pressured them to achieve. Um, a lot of times their parent, uh, was very engulfing and, or their parent was also very neglectful, very emotionally distant and neglectful. And they could have had, um, you know, a parent who was, um, one and the parent who was kind of another. But this tends to be very true. One of the reasons why they formed insecure and avoidant attachment in childhood. Um, and so for that, you know, um, avoidant parent or avoidant person as an adult, overt expressions of affection are often very discouraged by the avoidant person. And self-reliance is very much overvalued. And so, you know, this can translate into controlling or neglectful parenting styles in adulthood for the avoidant uh, adult. Of course, unless they are aware of that or they are partnered with a spouse who see things who sees things a bit differently, right? That can certainly rub off on a person. But I do think it's important to see, you know, someone who is avoidantly attached or, um, you know, uh, anxiously attached. Again, they come from a childhood with, with a lot of emotional instability. Um, they won't be the parent who is, um, you know, avoiding expression. 
or uh, excuse me, avoiding um, affection, but they will be the parent who's a bit more clingy, right? But the result will still be that the parent, you know, the the insecure parent um, has a much higher likelihood of raising insecure children. So when it comes to, you know, one of the reasons why I personally do so much of, of my own inner work, right, is I would love to be a parent in the future. I'd love to be a mother. And I don't want to pass on that kind of stuff. I don't want that kind of fear or anxiety uh, to be passed on to my child. The other thing is because in the past I was very of uh, um, uh, anxiously attached. That generally means, at least in the past, that I was very attracted to avoidantly attached men. And so that kind of combination in the relationship isn't just played out in how I or my spouse or my, you know, um, a theoretical spouse would have parented, but it also really has an impact on the way that the child would see my spouse and I, um, you know, th- again, theoretically, um, they would see us interacting with one another, the push pull. So then they're seeing a version of love that doesn't have a lot of security, um, to it. And so, Again, this can very much be changed. Um, I have worked very hard on becoming someone who is, um, you know, much more securely attached. That doesn't mean that I don't have times where I'm a bit triggered and um, I feel um, like I'm uh, a little bit more avoidant or I feel a little bit more anxious. And this is also true for people who are securely attached. They are still going to have times when they are triggered when they're going to push away from their partner a little bit, or they're going to, um, you know, kind of require a lot more closeness. But I think it has to do more with the frequency, right? And seeing a, a child really seeing whether or not the parent works through that kind of thing with their spouse, or both parents work through that, through that together, right? And so they still see a lot more love and nurturance uh, within them, within each parent parenting them, but also their parents in their relationship together. So first we are going to specifically discuss, um, avoidant parenting. And then we're also going to look at the impacts of partnerships, whether that be, you know, um, avoidant attachment or any kind of insecure attachment. Um, and then we're also going to kind of look at, you know, um, ways to heal, what to do, um, and some things like that. So first, avoidant parenting. In general, avoidant parents tend to be less responsive to their partner's needs and less concerned with the negative effect their lack of supportive communication has on their partners. So how much does this lack of over caring extend to the care for their children? So if you're married with children, you may have observed moments of caring interaction, you know, with the, with the avoidant person, but not as often as perhaps might be necessary for the child. Um, and I think it's really important to know that studies have shown that unaware avoidance can be somewhat negligent and emotionally distant parents. 
And, and again, there could be two very separate categories of the avoidantly attached person. There could be the avoidantly attached person who's very unaware of the fact that they are avoidantly attached. Oh, they may know, you know, their childhood wasn't great or those kinds of things, which funny enough, can actually push them into the place where they say, I need to become more aware of this. I don't want to repeat my childhood, right? I don't want my my children to feel that same way. That's much more of the aware, um, avoidantly attached person. And perhaps also the avoidantly attached person who is working on becoming more secure, right? Because that can also happen. It doesn't have to simply happen before you begin parenting. It can also happen in the midst of your parenting, right? Uh, we all are on our own healing journeys, um, you know, at different places on that journey. And so there's no right or wrong. I think the the bigger component is learning that there are some things that you are, you're acting much more avoidantly towards your children, right? Emotionally distant. And so I think that... Um, that's important to just simply realize. Um, now, the dynamics that make the avoidant anxious partnership or the avoidant ang- um, the anxious avoidant trap very unsatisfying are repeated with children who try to get more attention from an avoidant parent. So a child either learns not to expect emotional support from the avoidant person, thus growing more avoidant themselves or they fall into the trap of requesting more and being very rebuffed by that parent who sees their, their needs as a weakness. Right? So avoidant individuals often the studies show exhibit a neglectful, non-responsive style of caregiving. They score relatively low on proximity uh, maintenance and sensitivity. So reflecting their tendency to maintain distance from a needy partner. Um, so that, restri- you know, by restricting accessibility, uh, restricting physical contact, and by kind of withholding a lot of sensitivity. And they tend to adopt a controlling, uncooperative stance, resembling their more domineering behavior in kind of all kinds of social interactions and situations. So over time, children with an avoidant parent will look to their other parent for support. If the other parent is a sensitive caregiver, the child will model future attachment styles on that parent. Um, but if the other parent is, for example, also avoidantly inclined and neglects the, the child's emotional needs or anxiously attached and insensitive to, um, you know, holding and um, holding forth and, and overwhelming the child, then he or she will more likely end up with some variety of insecure attachment style. If an avoidant um, parent is really unable to provide healthy emotional support to their partner, there's a higher likelihood um, an unaware, unsupported partner could enmesh with the child. Um, Now, I find this really interesting because I'm going to bring in my own uh, childhood for a moment. Um, 
And I'm also going to discuss enmeshment a bit. And so in my own childhood, I had a mother who was, I believe, um, she had disorganized attachment, which is a form of avoidant attachment, right? It's still avoidant, but it also has some of the anxiety of the anxiously attached. Um, my father was a parent who was much more, um, anxiously attached. If I look back at his childhood and the way his mother was and his father was, I believe my, my grandfather was much more avoidantly attached and my grandmother was much more anxiously attached. And because to some degree, my grandfather left a lot of the parenting to my grandmother. And I think that my grandfather probably had a lot more of an authoritarian style and, um, you know, strict rules, one way uh, communication, um, little consideration of the, ch- of, you know, my father and his siblings, like emotional and behavioral needs. And so that allowed my father to turn more to his, um, anxious mother. Well, I did a lot of the same thing. Um, I felt that there was a lot of emotional neglect. Um, you know, it, it wasn't just the things that happened, but it was the lack of things happening, uh, you know, with my mother. Um, in a lot of ways, she couldn't and still can't emotionally connect with us on a deeper level. Um, she has struggled with, at least in my opinion, because uh, she is untreated and undiagnosed. But I believe that there was quite a bit of borderline personality disorder. Um, you know, a bit of maybe high functioning bipolar. And you know, she's still a wonderful woman. And there were times when it, it was like I had my mother, right? She'd be kind of on this, this higher end of things. It, it, it was kind of like riding a roller coaster a lot. And my father showed up very anxious with my mother. And I saw that play out in front of me, but he made that kind of roller coaster a little bit more smooth right? It didn't have the highest highs and the lowest lows. He kind of evened it out a little bit. Now, what's interesting is he showed up as a parent much more securely attached. He didn't cling to us very much as children. Um, And the enmeshment really came more from my mother. Um, And enmeshment is really where there's a relationship between two people. For me, it was, uh, you know, mother, daughter. And this is where a lot of personal boundaries are very unclear. Um, you know, as an empath, I really felt my mother's emotions a lot. And she would become very emotionally escalated. Um, so, you know, she would either, you know, with her, with her borderline, she would either kind of break out in rage and anger over something, or she would very much uh, kind of break down and cry and kind of be like, you just think I'm a terrible mother. And I'm like, no, like, so it was always kind of one extreme or the other. Um, when she was kind of in that low dip on, if you think of the roller coaster, when she was on kind of the, you know, riding a little higher, it was kind of like I got my mother back. It was kind of the strangest thing at times. And so my mother kind of wanted this kind of extreme closeness between us. Um, 
but yet she would also kind of push it away at times, which kind of created a, a lot more closeness between my dad and I. Was it enmeshed? Maybe a little bit, not to the same degree that it was with my mother. But what I found was I certainly attached insecurely and, and it was much more like my father. It was much more of the, um, the anxious attachment, right? Um, for a long time, I always struggled with, well, well, does the person like me or, you know, kind of living in kind of a bit of a fantasy kind of space or creating things in my mind a little bit about stuff, you know, uh, a situation, um, you know, with, with someone who I was romantically interested in or whatever. And so I really had to learn how to kind of break through some of that. And part of that was actually watching my father. I feel like my parents still have a very codependent relationship, but I, I feel like my father has been able to become a little bit more securely attached. He doesn't ride the highs and the lows of my mother like he used to. Um, he sets more boundaries than he used to. He's also someone who, um, is very, um, agreeable, right? And I am someone who tends to be fairly agreeable and I've had to learn how to kind of build, how to kind of break down that kind of limiting belief of, of always needing somebody else to tell me, you know, um, it's okay, it's good, or um, I'm, I'm going in the right direction or whatever. And instead, really learning how to uh, rely on myself, but also not overly rely on myself. And so I think that, um, you know, it, it's really important to to kind of see how this can play out. And why um, you know, if we are still single or if we're looking for someone, it's important to look at that person's attachment style and, you know, the attachment style of our potential partner and to really look at that and be able to say, um, is this person working on it? I don't have as much difficulty, um, being with someone who has struggled with insecure attachment in the past, but it's really what they've done with it. Um, because I find a lot of people who have been insecurely attached in the past, they really have a lot of empathy and they're really able to kind of um, look at situations in a, in a different kind of light. Um, and again, they've had to work to, heal a lot of their wounds. So this makes them also very aware, I think, as parents. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, people who grew up in secure homes, um, you know, uh, aren't aware. But I do think it, it can actually be very useful. So just realize that if you are a person who, you know, has really been working through your insecure attachment cells, it doesn't mean that you can't raise securely attached children. Um, but pay attention to the kind of spouse or partner that you um, are looking to attract. And then also, um, you know, if you are in a marriage with someone who is insecurely attached, um, you know, perhaps show them how you're changing, right? You're changing your attachment style. The 
the thing though is, is you can't change another person. So you can show a partner or a spouse kind of the way that, you know, bringing kind of these new thoughts, these new ideas, whatever, and then they can decide kind of how they want to, to change or to grow. Um, but ultimately it's really up to them. So, um, you know, and then you can very much do your best, um, you know, uh, with your parenting in that kind of situation. So let's dive a little deeper into avoidant um, parenting and avoidance as parents. And I have found that avoidant parents find that, you know, their kind of mental representation of themselves as strong and independent is really very easily upset by the emotional and proximity seeking demands of their baby or their child. Um, that's what children do. Like they, they need a firm tether. They need um, a lighthouse, a, a buoy in the ocean. They need something to be able to, uh, you know, seek proximity to, to have demands of, to need emotional closeness with, because then it allows them to step out a little bit further, right? Row a little or row or swim a little further away from the buoy or the lighthouse and then be able to come back. And I found that this can be really difficult for avoidant parents. Now, the opposite can be true for um, anxious parents. They don't want their child to get too far away from them at all, right? Of course, neither of which are healthy. Um, Instead, learning how to, you know, uh, be healthy within yourself, heal a lot of your wounds allows you to give your kids kind of a perimeter. I think about it um, as like um, when your child's old enough to swim and to play and you're close by, um, but maybe you're at a lake and then they kind of buoy off a sec, you know, there's the, there's that net or those little buoys, like you can't go beyond this. Um, or even in the pool, right? Like, here's the shallow end. You can play at this, this end and this level. But, you know, um, you know, here's a boundary for you, right? And so I, I think that that's, that's very good as well. Like, you're giving your kids the space to, to swim or to play or to do something, but then there's still a boundary for them. You can't go beyond this. I think that that's really authoritative parenting a lot of the time as well. But that can be hard for the the avoidant parent and the anxious parent. So the defensive response of the avoidant parent is to back off from or to control the source of the emotional needs, uh, the emotional need, the emotional dependence of the of the child. So the baby's distress and dependency needs really evoke a feeling of anxiety within the avoidant parent, which triggers attachment behavior. In the avoidance case, this is when they'll do, again, some of those same deactivating strategies that they'll use with their partner. Um, you know, shutting down, withdrawing, emotional, um, withdrawing their emotional um, availability. And so this really causes the, the parent, the avoidant parent, to switch off and cut themselves off from their own uncomfortable emotional experiences. And this makes it really difficult for them to uh, recognize and tune into their child's needs and emotions. So 
the caregiving style of the avoidant is, you know, again, this is when they're unaware of a lot of this behavior and they have not been working on their wounds and their trauma. Um, it's really one of rejection of the child's attachment behavior and emotional dependency. So the child or the infant, uh, the baby experiences this as some kind of punishment without, of course, knowing that it's punishment, but it, it is experienced as a punishment for displaying attachment behaviors. And the child really learns to deactivate their own attachment systems as the best strategy to keep their parent somewhat available to them. So if, if the child begins to learn, well, if I have less needs, my avoidant father or mother won't go as far away from me. They won't shut me down as much. They won't, um, you know, deactivate as much. If this is really, again, that if, if I'm not as demanding, it must be me. I'm demanding. Uh, again, this is often uh, what an avoidant, uh, the partner of an avoidant person can feel like. I certainly felt this way in um, my last relationship with a very avoidant man. Like, you you make me, I often feel like um, I'm too much. Like my simple needs of seeking some proximity. I'm not even demanding it. I'm just asking for it. But you make me feel often like I, like I'm asking for too much when I'm just asking for general closeness when I'm asking to for some sort of reassurance. Reassurance is also a very difficult thing for an avoidant person, particularly when they are um, very unaware of it. They just simply won't give it. Now, an avoidant parent who is working on themselves and really working on diving deeper into healing their wounds, they may still feel those moments of wanting to put distance but then they'll also begin to recognize where that happened in their own childhood that, you know, they kind of need to stop that cycle of seeing it as something negative in their child. Now they also may need to, you know, make sure that uh, their partner is able to step in when they feel a little bit overwhelmed or, you know, those kinds of things, right? Like there's a lot of ways to work on it without kind of demonizing the fact that uh, this person or that you, the person, uh, the parent is avoidant, right? You can take little steps, little steps to kind of correct some of these things, um, particularly when you have a partner who's very much willing to work with you on that and really, um, you know, be there for you. But then you also have to show up and be there for them too. So it's, it's a bit of both. Um, now let's talk a little bit about uh, avoidant parents, you know, who are very strongly avoidant. They haven't done a lot of their work, uh, their inner work, um, healing their wounds and their trauma. Um, I often have found strongly avoidant people really, uh, often say that they feel very little joy in the business of parenting, in the business of being a mom and a dad. And, you know, authoritarian, their parenting style is very authoritarian, um, instead of authoritative. And they find it very unrewarding. 
um, parenting in general can kind of be very unrewarding to them. Uh, now, then again, I found, you know, kind of either milder forms of avoidant, you know, uh, attachment um, in, in the parent, um, or if a parent has been avoidantly attached in, in the past, but they're, you know, kind of working on it, they're working through some of those things, they're seeing the connection to their childhood, they're seeing how that plays out uh, for their own child, for their own spouse or their or their partner. Um, this can really lead to a different caregiving style. Uh, the lack of confidence with the emotional demands of being a parent um, can, yes, create a self-imposed pressure to be super competent at the practical side of caregiving um, with the need to know the theory and have the right, you know, the right equipment, the right tools, the best education, uh, the best toys, um, you know, uh, the finest crib, you know, all those kinds of things. Um you know, uh, they've got the, the shelves with all the baby books of, you know, how to bring up the baby, how to be a good mom, how to be a good dad. Um, they'll research it a lot. Um, and so what they will, what they will do is they will then learn more so how to, um, meet their baby's needs. Um, they'll be a little bit more open to that or, hopefully they will have also partnered with someone who can show them that, right? Um, their spouse, their partner is someone who is more emotionally available and can teach them some things and be there, like I said, when they get a little too overwhelmed. Um, you know, I, I find it interesting. I, I heard someone who was um, more mildly avoidantly attached, but was was really working on it. He was talking about like, um, he really preferred to, you know, kind of read baby books that really, um, he really liked the baby books that had very strict routines, right? Um, so that, you know, the baby didn't cry as much. The baby wasn't as upset. Like he, he always wanted the baby to, um, you know, maybe not just be happy, but be very content. And, you know, when it was really brought up that crying is the only way that babies can communicate their urgent needs. Um, even though this felt stressful to him, the crying was part of the way that the baby expressed needs. And the expression of the baby's crying and the baby's needs wasn't to stress out the parent. It was to communicate with the parent. And so when he kind of had that kind of, um, I think little kind of mental switch in his brain, it was a little bit easier to realize, oh, I can soothe my child. Um, and by soothing my child, it also can work on soothing myself. And I'm becoming very curious about, oh, what does my child need? Not seeing their needs as being um, manipulative or being negative or being uh, really throwing the avoidant parent out of a routine. So again, sometimes, you know, if the avoidant parent is open to it um, being, or I should say any insecure attachment, um, being very curious about their child. Um you know, being very curious about the child's behavior rather than kind of seeing it through one lens. 
Now, let's talk a little bit about the impact of parenting. Um, the I should say the impact of partnerships on parenting. Um, there's, of course, a quote that says, the best thing you can do as a father or mother is to make sure they see how much you love, to make sure that your children see how much they love or you love their father or their mother. So the impact of adult attachment on children is not just via the direct route of parenting styles, right? That's important, but it's also the adult couple. The way the partners work together as parents um, has a profound influence on children. Also, the way the parents tend to each other's needs, just simply in the relationship that doesn't have as much to do with the child, right? The, the child seeing that the parents still have their own lives, but they still love and care and nurture one another. They give and receive love to one another. Um, of course, the way that partners work together as parents has a profound influence on their children. Evidence of, you know, these kind of positive effects of collabor- uh, collaborative co-parenting um, really kind of emerge from uh, studies on uh, of the impact of divorce on children. And it was really, it was really shown to, um, in kind of strongly, um, apply to families who were not the product of divorce. So some surveys have shown that, or I should say have shown how sensitive children are to their parents, uh, getting on well. Um, and it showed that 70% of children and 30% of parents agreed to the statements, uh, the statement, parents getting on well is one of the most important factors in raising happy children. Um, so children agreed with that as well. When their parents got along well, um, one of the things that I very much advocate is when it comes to, you know, creating healthy relationships, um, healthy, intimate relationships between you and your partner, you and your spouse, you have to learn how to fight well. Um, children pay attention to parents who, you know, certainly are attacking one another, one another's character. They're also paying attention to when their parents are discussing the issue and the problem rather than trying to cut down the parent, the other person. Excuse me. Um, So sometimes a secure adult partnership helps parents to overcome the effects of insecure attachment in their childhood. So when parents are getting along, they're not only more likely to be competent in their individual roles as parents, um, but also to offer a cooperative adult relationship model to their children that can be deeply reassuring and, um, you know, very loving, um, very nurturing. And this applies not only when the parents are living together, but also when they've separated from each other and can uh, work well together for their children. Their children are protected from uh, certain kinds of conflict between the adults uh, spilling over into how they behave as parents and from the fear that they are somehow responsible for their parents arguing or distancing. 
Um, now, there's also some evidence to suggest that the attachment uh, security of fathers may be more important than that of mothers in providing protection against conflict um, between the parents, which is kind of adversely affecting the attachment security of the children. I found that to be really interesting. Um, a lot of what I discuss on Instagram and whatnot is masculine and feminine energy. Um, it's very important that both men and women certainly have a healthy, you know, the, the, the feminine has a very healthy feminine uh, energy and, and essence, and the masculine has a very healthy masculine essence, right? Um, but they also, in order to be healthy, they each need access to a little bit of the other, right? So a woman needs access to her masculine, uh, but she also needs to have cultivated a healthy masculine within herself, just as she needs a healthy feminine. And the same thing is true for men. Um, in order to really be in that space of the healthy masculine, um, provide, preside, protect. A man also needs access to his feminine, but he needs to have created a healthy relationship with his inner feminine. So when it comes to kind of like what to do um, with either, you know, if you're in a relationship with someone who is insecurely attached or, you know, in this case, avoidantly attached, um, I think it's really important to remember that half the population has insecure attachment. And this is certainly not a reason to avoid having children. So our understanding ourselves helps us become cognizant of how we show up effectively as parents and also as partners. Um, again, you know, insecure attachment styles often are passed down from families in cycles. So the best predictor of a child's security of attachment is not what happened to their parents' as children, but simply, um, you know, but rather, I should say, how their parents made sense of those childhood experiences, those negative, negative experiences, and whether or not their parents are aware of and responded to and, and learned how to become healthy um, learned how to heal a lot of their own attachment patterns. Um, you know, I, I think that this is, you know, really, um, really very important. Again, I think that there can be a ton of empathy from being raised from parents who have really had to work through, you know, their own attachment issues. Uh, one of the things that I see as being great benefit is, you know, the truth is, we're all going to experience trauma in our lives. Um, not just the trauma from our childhoods, uh, but also uh, trauma from, you know, being within society, living in the world. Um, these traumas can vary. But I think having had parents who are more insecurely attached and have worked to become more securely attached allows a parent to be able to show their child the path even if the child has started out with more of a secure attachment style because both of the parents worked on themselves. Um, I think that this is really, you know, uh, really a, a very good thing. Um, 
I think it's one of the one of the best things that a parent can pass down to their child. Yes, education, of course, is very important. But also, as the child grows older, um, you know, even into adulthood, um, teaching them, uh, being that advocate, that advisor in their life, as you kind of transition from uh, just the authoritative parenting model. Um, of course, they're the adult now. So, but but you're still there to help them as they face disappointments, trauma, wounds in their own life, as they encounter their future, um, you know, partners or spouses, as they have their own children. Um, I think that this is really where we could use a little bit of that kind of tribe mindset, right? It takes a village. We're all here to help, but we're all also in the process of healing a lot of wounds. So, I think that if you are, you know, someone who is avoidant and you're wondering, you know, about having children or, you know, you know, you already have children, I think the most important thing you can do is to work to become aware, you know, of your attachment style and your triggers so that you really feel much more safe, much more comfortable with being able to show love and support as well as learning to rely on your partner, not being in that hyper-independent space, and to accept them relying on you. Um, I think a strong team partnership is really at the core of successful parenting. And, you know, really, as the avoidant person, you know, being aware that, you know, any problems can be solved with awareness, um, good communication. Um, sometimes, you know, your partner calling you out on things, just like you're going to call them out on things. But the more that you become aware of your own self-limiting beliefs, of your behaviors, of your patterns, of that need to kind of create more space anytime someone needs something particularly emotionally from you, really working on that, really diving into yourself. Um, this can This can really go a long way to changing that dynamic with your kids. Um, I think then if you're a couple and you have had or intend to have children, again, the key is really to be aware of your attachment styles from childhood. Um, and then, you know, learn the kind of tools, uh, the techniques of secure parenting, of, uh, and then also of becoming secure within yourself. That's been a huge thing for me, right? As a woman to really step into that kind of space of security within myself. Um, and then really work as a team to provide a secure attachment framework for your children or for your child. And then, you know, if you are someone who maybe you've been working on yourself, becoming more securely attached, but you have an avoidant partner. I do find that it's very important to provide a good model of caregiving for your spouse, for your avoidant or, or your avoidant partner. Um, you're there when they need you, um, but only when they need you. Um, sometimes it's very difficult to act very calm. Um, 
you know, or, or happy or cheerful or those kinds of things. But, you know, also making sure that you don't, you don't just kind of hover, right? You're not kind of beating them down for the fact that they're not as emotionally able, at least at this time to connect with their child. Um, I think it's really important to kind of really consider, uh, think through, you know, how you might speak to your spouse, um, how you might encourage your avoidant spouse to really handle your children's needs with more attention and care without being really critical. Um, it's funny. Um, I, I've studied a lot of John doctors, John and Julie Gottman's work and, you know, seven keys of making marriage work. And, you know, conflict is what one of the things that they call one of the four horsemen and, or I'm sorry, criticism is one of the four horsemen, um, when it comes to conflict. And, you know, so being very aware, I think that, um, I think that avoidantly attached people are very aware of kind of any of that kind of criticism that can come their way, particularly when it comes to a spouse. They're perhaps already feeling fairly inadequate, feeling like they already need a lot of space. And then they see other parents doing things a little bit differently. Um, you know, I think really encouraging them to, to dive into a lot of their own, you know, self-beliefs. Um, you know, working with them to find a lot of support, right? Um, being, you know, putting yourself in an environment where there are other, you know, very healthy, um, parents for them to be able to see. Um, I also think some other, you know, particularly if your spouse is an avoidant male, um, having, making sure that they're in some, you know, they have some friends, uh, they have some people that they're in contact with where the male friends will talk to them a bit about their, you know, like their parenting or, or they can open up to that other person, maybe not just you. Same thing if you are um, either in a relationship or married to someone who is female and she is more avoidantly attached, making sure that, you know, or, or, or trying to set at least uh, set the stage, set the environment where, you know, your partner or your spouse, she can be around other women uh, who, you know, don't demean her, um, make her feel like, you know, um, she's not good enough as a parent or something like that. But instead, where they're very encouraging, um, they're helping her see some of those, uh, you know, aspects of herself where, you know, she can really grow as a parent, she can really grow as a person. Um, I think it's always really great when you can put really uh, self-aware people around your partner as well. Uh, one of the things that uh, my parents did to some degree, at least, was putting a lot of mentors in my life that were kind of reinforcing some of the things that that were important to them, values, um, you know, whatnot. I don't think that they thought of it in terms of attachment style, but that was really important to, because I didn't always listen to them. Your spouse or your partner isn't always going to listen to you, right? You can bring some things forward and then kind of feel like you're beating a dead horse, you know, um, over and over with the same thing. So setting an environment around them could also be very useful. 
um, could be very helpful uh, so that the the thoughts or the ideas um, are coming from someone else. And then I think also, you know, really encouraging them to, you know, again, really assess their own childhood, what they liked, what they didn't like. Um, a lot of times avoidance, I have found that avoidance who are um, becoming certainly much more self-aware, they really hate the fact that they're avoided. They don't want to be that way. That's how certainly how I felt as be, um, being a lot more anxious. I didn't like feeling that way. I didn't want to be that way. So really encouraging them to go on their own personal journey, you know, taking courses, working with somebody, um, you know, again, setting an environment for your family where you're around other people who are working through their trauma and their wounds too. Um, I think that this can also um, be very helpful. So I hope that this was helpful for you um, when it, specifically when it came to avoidance in childhood or uh, raising children um, and reflecting on their own childhoods, but also, um, you know, kind of any insecure attachment style. Um, you know, you can see through the discussion that we've had how it deeply impacts um, not only the child or your child directly through your parenting, but also direct um, impacts them based upon the kind of relationship that you have uh, with your partner or your spouse. Um, And of course, any insecure attachment style or secure attachment style has a great impact on your relationship with um, the person that you are raising children with or having children with Um, the person that you are in an intimate relationship with. So, um, one of the ways that I have really worked on, um, healing myself again has been through my attachment style. And so I didn't have a framework when I was working through a lot of my own wounds and trauma. So I created something called the members club and it is through, um, create love freedom. And recently I have been very disappointed in the platform that I was using for my members club, um, which is a monthly paid subscription where each month I bring a new self-healing topic uh, to the community, to the um, people within the members club. And uh, for the month of January, it is uh, healing self-limiting beliefs, uh, which directly ties into, um, you know, healing your attachment style. Um, healing your anxious, avoidant, or disorganized, um, you know, attachment styles. And of course, can also uh, certainly help people with um, secure attachment as well, uh, continuing to cultivate more security in their life. Um, So I moved us to a different platform. And I'm very excited by this. Um, And that will be the Mighty Networks platform. So you all can interact with one another. Um, You can discuss things with each other. I'm going to um, begin setting up uh, something if you want an accountability buddy can also certainly be me. Um, But then we can interact with one another. You can also still continue to go through uh, the videos uh, for each masterclass uh, topic. Again, uh, January is self-limiting beliefs and also be going through the workbook. So I'm very excited about this. I will soon have a link for you. Um, actually, that's not true. The link is now um, live on uh, Instagram. So if you go to at Create Love Freedom, uh, 
uh, you can click on the link in our bio and then go to Members Club, and that'll take you directly to the Mighty Networks where you can uh, sign up there and join our community, our self-healing community. We very much believe that we are our own best self-healers. Um, we are the ones who really um, bring forth our own self-healing and our own transformation. And you can also uh, go to createlovefreedom.podia.com and you can click on Members Club and um, use the link there. And it will also take you to the Mighty Networks platform uh, where you can uh, join and subscribe um, and then uh, be part of our community and receive those monthly masterclasses. So hopefully um, you will take a look at that and uh, see if that is right for you. Until next time.